Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, and this is the home of our exclusive series, My Story. The show is available in video format at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation, plus audio versions at all your usual podcast, radio app platforms and links. Uh, all the links for everything is in the description. Appreciate it if you could subscribe to the YouTube channel, and uh, you can keep up to date with all the shows and uh, series that we've got coming up on Ace Podcast Nation. We do everything from uh, MMA, football, cricket, mental health, everything live, recorded shows, uh, top guests and expert analysts from a wide variety of subjects. So check us out. And as I say, all the links are in the, in the description below. My, uh, my story is one of our newer series. It's uh, basically the concept is simple. We take our guests through their life, their careers, from their upbringing up to present day as they share some memories and anecdotes. Uh, previous episodes include uh, former WBO champion Robbie Regan, uh, the actor and uh, writer who played Lofty in EastEnders, Mr Tom Watt, uh, former Welsh international footballers Reese Weston, Scott Young and of course we had former England cricketer Chris Lewis join us as well. 
My guest today for a deep dive into his incredible life and career is uh, complete. He has competed professionally in three different sports, uh, boxing, MMA, and of course, the one he's most well known for, I guess, is, uh, is cricket. Former England captain, a Surrey Cricket Club legend, and uh, in my opinion, a true innovator of one day cricket in England. I'm uh, delighted to welcome a true sporting icon, Mr. Adam Holyoke. How are you, my friend? Hey, good, thanks, guys. Hope you're all well over there in England. Well, I'm in Wales, I am. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Don't say that. But uh, no, no, it's all right. It's, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, looking out my window, that the weather is probably better where you are than where we are at the moment. It is uh, raining heavily, yeah. shall we say. Yeah, well, middle of winter here on the, in the Gold Coast. Yeah. Where I am, it's a uh, beautiful 25 degrees and sunny and clear. Well, not now, the sun's just gone down, but yeah, good day. Jealous, jealous. Um, <laughs> so what I like to do before we get into kind of your story is uh, just for people maybe who are not familiar with you, uh, if they're not cricket fans or they're maybe younger viewers who missed your career, is basically we do seven quickfire questions. We call it the Magnificent Seven. Um, and all you do is just say the first thing which comes to mind Okay. okay. Uh, Magnificent Seven with Adam Holyoke. So, uh, sporting hero growing up? Uh, Viv Richards. Glamorgan legend. Uh, Ronaldo or Messi? <sighs> Messi. Oasis or the Beatles? The Beatles. Uh, the best captain you ever played under? Keith Medlicott. Uh, angriest teammate ever? Mark Rampakesh. <laughs> uh, Flintoff, Stokes or Botham? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Uh, Stokes, the other two are getting old now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the greatest TV show of all time? Wow, that's a, that's a hard one at the end. Um... Um, 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 superstars. So um, I didn't even know what that is. What's superstars? Come on, mate. That's like that's uh, iconic, uh, old school seventies and eighties. Uh, the one of the original reality TV shows. It was they took a an athlete from every sport and competed them in a bunch of generic events. So like oh, right. okay. they take football, a cricketer. Tennis player, and they'd all do like things like sprint race. Oh, you might have to that have was... a look for that. That sounds it sounds better than the reality TV shows which are on now. So uh, <laughs> might have to check that one out. Um, so look, you've had uh, you've got an incredible story, inspirational story, full of ups and downs. Um, but what I like to do with my guests first and foremost is uh, for you to take us back to the start. Uh, tell us a bit about your upbringing, where you were born. Basically, where did it all start for Adam Holyoke? Um, so I was born in Melbourne in Australia, but um, probably spent the majority of my youth and primary years in Ballarat, which is a mining town a couple of hours outside of Melbourne. Um, so that was sort of country uh, Victoria. Um, and um, and but the, during that time period, my parents... Travelled a lot with my dad's work. My dad was an engineer, so um, that took us around a number of places. But then when I was 12, 
um, his work relocated him to England. Okay. And, um, I ended up going. I ended up going to a school over there called St George's in Weybridge in Surrey. Yeah. Um, and while I was there, I just um, I did a whole bunch of. I did every sport, like as like all of us guys do at school. We just did everything: rugby, hockey, cricket, athletics. Um, so, yeah, that was my sort of introduction to England. So a lot of um, a lot of athletes and former athletes and stuff, which I speak to, um, they're quite often good at several sports in their youth. And they get to a point where they've got to, you know, they've got to make a decision uh, which one they're going to pursue. Was that the same for you, or was it kind of always cricket that you shined at? Um, well, it wasn't a decision to make really because um, cricket, uh, rugby, which was my other sport. I mean, my two main sports were definitely rugby and cricket, um, but I also did uh, quite a bit of boxing as well. But that was not on the school curriculum or sporting yeah. agenda so I did that in my own time my parents promised told me to promise them that I'd never fight professionally mm. uh, which I, I kept that for about 25 years I think then I broke that promise um, but um, mainly rugby and cricket so I had the choice when I got offered to play cricket it was either go to university and play rugby and wait for it to turn professional or take the contract, which was there and there in front of me for um, for cricket. So I hated study that much that I decided that the sport was irrelevant and anything that was going to get me out of studying was was the way forward. Cool. So when I um, when I announced that we, you were coming on, um, I had an influx of texts from uh, friends of mine really who, who follow cricket and sport. And they all asked pretty much the same thing, which was why in cricket in particular, but also other sports more and more these days, um, do you see so many athletes sort of born in one place, but then go on to represent another country? Um, so like you yourself was born in Australia, you went on to play for England. Kevin Peterson, born in South Africa, went on to you know play for England. And the, you know the list is endless. I mean, um, Andrew Strauss and many others. Do you think, well, I guess the question if they're asking is, um, why do you think that is? I, I guess if I was one of your viewers, I'd be asking the same one because I've got no idea, really. Um, uh, there's no real... I've tried to think about this before, and I thought, is it because cricketers in other countries are so much better than England? I thought, of course not. We're all the same, you know what I mean? Um, I just think that... It's just the way it is. I mean, whether the children that make the step have developed some resilience or something because they've been brought up in two different areas and they've got to have some kind of um, way of coping with the attention of coming from another place, um, I don't know, because there, there is really there's, there's no scientific answer that I could give that. Yeah. Um, a different for... You know, in Kevin's instance, um, guys who come there when they're already at a decent standard of cricket, some might choose to go to uh, another country because the opportunities are better there. I mean, mine was different. I came over at the age of 12. Um, and I know there's a number of guys who have done that, who have come over 
early in age. I mean, at, to the age of 12, I didn't, couldn't possibly have known I was going to no, no, of course. playing international cricket. So, um, but Kevin might have, I mean, he, I guess there's, he might have chosen that because of the limited opportunities in South Africa. As with, um, you know, Graham Hick, um, Robin Smith, Alan Lamb, that might have been something like that as well. But I mean, you, I know you had Chris Lewis on there and he's, he just so happened to be from another country and come yeah, over yeah. to cricketing career. Um, ben Stokes, I don't believe, has done that. I think he came over relatively young as well. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, so I, mean, I think you just have to take each case on its own. It's not, I don't think there'd be one answer that would be able to blanket no, and cover of all of those different. Andrew Strauss, I, I know he was originally set up again, but he came over at a young age, his secondary schooling in, in England. So, and there's a, I think you just got to be careful to differentiate between people who have come over um, to further their career and ones who are already at school and it just so happened to be in the country when um, given that opportunity. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, I think moving to a different country uh, as a child, I would imagine you have to have a certain amount of mental resilience. Um, yeah. Obviously, you need in professional sport and to be a professional athlete. So, I mean, whether that makes a difference from a psychological point of view, just that kids who've had to come over from another country, go to a school from another country and stuff, and like you say, like, you know, 11, 12, of that sort of age, it's a difficult enough age as it is. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, maybe mm. that's, there's some aspect to it. But like you say, you'd have to take every every case on his on <coughs> merit. And I mean, you do see, you've seen it more and more in all sports now. Like they, um, they're constantly changing the kind of rules of what makes you uh, able to qualify to play, play international sport. I think over the last few years as well, we've seen athletes who've played for two different countries because they've played sort of up to a, like a under 21 level say for like <coughs> rugby um and then they change but um and the so other thing you consider with england is um england went around conquering the world um you know through the middle ages so you've got ancestry like i was at training today with queensland i coached the queensland cricket team now and um one of the kids goes, oh, my, my grandfather's from England. I can get an English passport. Would I have an opportunity to go over in England? And I was like, absolutely. And then bef before I could finish that conversation, there were three other guys who were in the same scenario. So whereas I can't imagine that scenario happens in England where you've got English guys who've got Australian parentage. It's, you know, yeah. it's the other way around. It just, it, and same in, in other countries. Um, England was one of those countries that they went and I'm not sure my history again why I chose cricket rather than going to university was uh, I think England went around conquering half the world back in the Middle Ages so um, you know there's people all around the world with rights and ancestry to come back to England so um, I think Australia's only been around 200 years so I don't think they've conquered too much. <laughs> yeah so do you think like I'm assuming you, you view yourself uh, as Australian I would imagine is that true? Um, no, I don't. I I, um, uh, I view myself as nothing really. Uh, I wish I was one or the other. Yeah. Uh, I, I I see people and they're um, and they're so patriotic, whether that be England or Australia. Um, you know, I look at someone like 
um, you know, Andrew Flintoff or Ian Botham or Michael Atherton, and they're so patriotic to to be English. They, you know, they've got English parents, English grandparents, probably their great grandparents are English, and and they come through and they're you know they're they're singing the you know God Save the Queen and with their Union Jack tattoos and, and everything like that, and and it's a beautiful thing. It's like there's nothing better. But in this day and age, I think we're just going to see more people who have you know, different part, you know, a great-grandfather from here and an uncle and auntie from there. And it's not as easy as I think it was 50 years ago. Travel's easy. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. And I wish I was from one or the other. So I could really feel patriotic. Uh, something I feel like it's a, a gift that if you're fortunate enough to do that, then it's a beautiful thing. I only ever I felt that for Surrey because... I grew up in Surrey, played for Surrey. I always felt a Surrey player. So I felt that um, love of that club. Whereas I'd be lying if I said I felt that when I played for England. Um, I didn't feel that totally. I never felt, saying that, I I wouldn't have felt the same if I played for Australia either. So um, that doesn't mean I didn't try my hardest every time I went out there. Like, if you want to play me in a game of table tennis, I'll try my hardest. It's like that's irrelevant. But. I would be lying if I said I felt incredibly patriotic when I was playing for England. I, I could see the other guys in the side were that, but um, you know what? Seeing the national anthem really loud or having Union Jack tattoos on you doesn't make you a better cricketer or rugby player or whatever. It's just being good at the sport, really. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, like you say about tattoos. I know um, Kevin Peterson's got um, like the three lions tattooed on his, I think it's his arm, but um, mm. obviously he was born i think uh, in south africa which is it's interesting like he obviously felt an affinity maybe for... maybe he's got a springbok tattooed on his ass <laughs> <laughs> you never know you never yeah. know but i mean one of my next questions was um like would you have found or did you find it difficulty difficult playing against australia when you're playing for england but i guess because you didn't have that affinity to kind of either in terms of how you felt I actually felt, I, if you ever look at my record, it's um, I had a better record against Australia than I did the other sides because for me it was um, it was more, I, I wanted to beat them more because, um, you know, I was always called names by the Australians. Yeah, like I was going to ask you that. Did you get but, a lot of grief? Yeah, absolutely. And I loved it too. It was like, it's just, um, I don't know, they've got a thing out here in Australia just to sort of maybe help um because we don't really have it, anything like that in England, but they've got something out here called the State of Origin, which is a rugby league between New South Wales and Queensland, who are the two main rugby playing states. And under their normal club, they're all those guys are in the same team. But when they go to play for the states, they they're in opposite sides. So it's basically mates playing as mates. Yeah, those games are more brutal than international games. The passion with which those games are played under is um is more than any other 
sport I've ever seen because it's like literally they want to win more because that's their mates that they're playing against. So um, when I played against Australia, I wanted to win more because that's where I grew up. Those guys were calling me all their names, Judas, Trader, Turncoat, and I was like, well, I'll show you. So um, I love playing against Australia. I love competing against Australia. Hey, I'm not saying I always won or whatever, but um, I enjoyed playing against Australia more. I felt it was more of a felt more at stake, and um, I wanted to win more if that's possible. Because when you're playing at that level, you want to win really badly already. Yeah, of course. I um, it's so it's weird for me because I'm I'm Welsh. But obviously, in cricket, in terms, there's not um, there's a Welsh team, you know, up until I think about under 16s, and then after mm-hmm. that, it goes into the because it, it's the England and Wales cricket board, it goes into that. So in every other sport, I've got a real kind of, I wouldn't say like a hatred. I've got a dislike of the yeah, England, uh, English national team. Yeah, because it's um, it's like Wales versus England. It's it's like yeah. big big competitive rivalry, whereas. Like I played county cricket as a kid to like I think probably about sixteen, but I was more interested in girls and doing other stuff. So I didn't have the dedication to take it further. Whereas if I had, I I think well I you know if I had ever been good enough to play international cricket, I would have played wanted to play for England. But it's Welsh, so it's it's a real weird thing, and it's mm. it's a little strange to think yeah. about, but. Uh, I think it's easy. I mean, the abuse that I've taken over the years. I can only imagine. Um, and and no, it's, it's fine. It's, it goes with the territory. I'm not, I'm not complaining about it. Um, I know as soon as you play, sign up to do professional sport, you're, they're the cards you dealt. If you don't want to do it, then go and get an office job. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's fine. I, I'm, not, I'm definitely not complaining about it. Um, but, yeah, the um, abuse I've taken over the years... Um, is fair and unfair at the same time. The fair bit is, hey, I'm playing for the opposition and they're going to try and do whatever they can to unsettle me. That's fair. Unfair bit is suggesting that I came to England because I wasn't good enough to get in the Australian side. Uh, that might have been true, but that wasn't the reason I came to England. I came to England when I was 12 because yeah. uh, my dad got a job there and I defy any 12-year-old to say, you know what, mum and dad, I'm just going to stay here and make it on my own. So it was like that was never our intention. It ended up being that way, and I know that the cards have got dealt with me, and I've got to deal with it. Like, I always get called, um, you know, like oh, I just went to England because it was easier to get into their team. It's like, well, that's not, nonsense. Not thinking about that as a kid, do you? No, not thinking um, about. It. How did your parents feel about you playing for like for England over Australia? Were they just proud that you played, you know, international cricket as opposed to you were playing for England over Australia? Um, I think so. I think they were just proud. Um, um, it was, I think, I mean, I've got three kids myself and you just want to see them reach the top of their profession, really. It's only sport where, um, you know, I guess if you're a lawyer or a, um, you work for a, a solar company, if you're a lawyer, the best you can do is make partner. Or set up your own legal firm. Um, if you're you own your own company, the best thing you can do is own it or become CEO. So, I guess um, when you're a sportsman, the best thing you can do is represent your country. So that's I guess it's like a promotion or 
um, playing international cricket. It's the highest level of cricket you can play. So um, my parents, it was weird. I asked them what happened. Hey, who are you supporting when I'm playing mm-hmm. against Australia? He said, well, my dad was like, we support in Australia, but we hope you do well. <laughs> so I said, so you hope all my mates do bad? They're yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah. But um, see, obviously, you, you you played for Surrey, um, and you know you had an incredible uh, career for Surrey. You had an incredible career, but Surrey in particular, you were just ridiculous. Um, you played, I think, 159 first-class matches for Surrey, uh, just under 9,000 runs at an average of 40 odd, uh, 18 centuries, 53 50s. Um, that is some career and some statistics. Um, what sticks out to you the most when you look back at your time at Surrey? Um, my, my, the thing that um, sticks out to me the most is my love of that club and the way that, that club's treated me. Uh, I've been through a lot in my life. I mean, my, my brother um, and I were both fortunate enough to play there. Um, when he passed away, they were they were more than my employer, they were um, they were like my extended family. So the thing that sticks out is the res- mutual respect between the club and my family and vice versa. And, um, and then I grew up, those guys were my friends. Um, you know, they were, I grew up with them from the age of 12. So um, those guys who we went on to win championships with and um you know we won nine trophies in seven years um but they were all my friends they're like almost like my brothers you know what i mean so um i think it's just realizing we were involved in a special period of time and and just enjoying it and enjoying one another's company enjoying one another's success and being uh, there for one another during their failures and i think it's a special thing um you know, to be a professional cricketer in itself is special, but when you get to do it with your mates and with people that be go on to become your very closest friends and, and then achieve success as well, that's something which um, I'll remember forever. Yeah, I guess it's like a lifelong bond, isn't it? Because, you know, like you mentioned, so you mentioned your brother, um, Ben, obviously passed away in uh, 2002, I believe, wasn't it? Um, I'd yeah. done um, a few, few. We got a series called Mental Health in Sport, where we've spoken to different athletes and and psychologists and stuff. And a lot of the time, we talk about the support in place for for young players or players who retire early through injury and stuff like that. Um, and do the authorities, do the clubs, do the national teams do enough to support players in those situations? Um, so I wanted to ask you. You know, when Ben tragically passed away, did you feel like you had good support from, um, you know, from Surrey, from from the ECB in that time? Um, from Surrey, I couldn't have... It's all relative to the times that we live in. Um, today, I've been involved in... Uh, I've been surrounded with another tragedy out here. Um, which will probably come out in the next few days, but um, okay. it's just reminded me um, of that period of time, and um, it's um, 
Surrey couldn't have done any more than they did for me. Um, at that, that reminded me um, of a period of time in 92, 93, I think it was 91, 92 around there, I was living in the apartment with Joey Benjamin and a guy called Danny Callagher. Um, Danny Callagher played a number of, a handful of first class games for Kent and then came to play for Surrey. Uh, he was uh, um, injured and his career was ending. He just split up with his girlfriend and he, um, he was, I was sharing an apartment with him and he spent every day um, laying on the sofa, watching movies, uh, and then have an evening, staying up till 2 or 3 in the morning and sleeping all day. And they were talking about 92, 93. Now, to you and I now, that's obvious that he was suffering from depression. Yeah. Um, but back then, this is how far we've come in the last 30 years. Back then, I remember thinking, what's wrong with this guy? He needs to get up and have a crack. He needs to get up and, and you know, get into it. Mm. Um he wasn't able to do that and I remember just calling him weak and um, just purely through my own um, lack of knowledge. I was, you know, I was a 19, 20 year old guy. I didn't know anything about depression or mental health. None of us did really. No. Um, unfortunately, he went on to, um, to commit suicide afterwards. And um, But back then it was like, oh, I committed suicide. It was a weak act and and we didn't even stop to think there's anything that we could have done to um, to intervene or to have changed the path of what happened. Um, now, knowledge is, is so much better. You know, mental health awareness is vastly different. I, I guess it's something like what smoking would have been like in the 60s and 70s and 80s when everyone was just puffing away willy-nilly and, and no one had any un knew it was doing any damage. Um, so it's the same thing. So mental health is sort of very much at the forefront of um, what people do. I mean, I don't know. Like, sorry, we're amazing when my brother died in 2002. Bearing in mind, that's only 10 years after Danny Callahan committed suicide. Yeah. I'm not sure if they were aware of um, mental health and, and that. I can't remember around that time. I, don't, I still think depression was not really spoken about as openly as it is now. But um, I think mainly because my family were so respected and revered at the club that I was granted um, as much time to recover and I was supported by the club. I'm not sure that would have been the same for if that had been someone else. I don't know. I can't answer that. But all I know is that they supported me magnificently and, um, and for that I'm like, really grateful my family is as well yeah I, you're right like the the understanding of mental health and depression and things like this is changed vastly over the last probably you know the last 10 years i'd say has really seen a change in people's attitudes and the way people understand it um but i think you're right back in you know 2002 whilst it was probably you know it would have been a lot better than it was in 93 I don't yeah. think it was anywhere near what it is now. Um, no. What was it like coming up through the ranks with you know with your brother Ben? Because obviously, you know, I'd imagine uh, making your way as a professional sportsman is a you know is an exciting time um, as you're working your way up through to the first team. What was it like to be able to do that alongside your brother? Um, 
Yeah, it was an interesting time. I mean, he was, I, mean, I think what people, some people forget is he was six years younger than me. So okay. um, I think because he was so talented that, that people just tended to forget that he was that young. Um, I think he made his Surrey debut when he was 17 or 18. Wow. Um, really young international debut when he was 18. So um, he was a really young guy. And um, so I was almost... Well, I was going to say I am his older brother, but I was like the helped him through those times, and I was already established when he came into the Surrey side, and I'd already played a handful of one-day internationals before he made his debut. So I was always able to kind of pass on knowledge to him and help him at whatever stage he was at coming through. So um, it was it was a special time, like. I think, I think any family that had one kid playing professional sport would feel blessed. And there was both of us, and we we're both in the same sport and the same club, and we were fulfilling similar roles. I'd bat six, he'd bat seven. Um, I'd bowl, and we both bowl at the end, so we we're often working in partnerships together. Yeah. So um, it was um, it was a special, and we lived together, so. Um, Pretty much did everything together. We partied together. We, it was um, yeah, so pretty special times, really. Were you um, were you quite protective of him uh, as kids and like when you were growing up? Yes, uh, I remember one instance. Um, we were in Hong Kong and I was older, being I don't know ten or eleven or something like that. And he, so he would have been five. I think some kids took his ball. I don't think they were taking it maliciously, but. I wanted to get his ball back, so um, I ended up fighting them all. So, um, but that sort of carried on throughout our life. Um, as when we be, once we became professional cricketers, obviously we were, I couldn't be seen to be too protective because he was his own man. So yeah, cool. um, it's almost like by standing up, overly standing up for your younger brother, you're almost not allowing him. To, yeah, well, you're not allowing him to fight his own battles either. So. And then that's just going to bring more attention to to that person. So yeah, you um you made your test debuts together, um, which I think I think it was the first time it had been done in the in the twentieth twentieth century for from an English point of view. Um, that must have been a proud moment to be able to not only have your you know your test match debut, but alongside your brother as well. But um, yeah. the other part that I wanted to say, um, sorry, was that. Obviously, in those days, um, one-day cricket was viewed completely different to what it is now in England, whereby you kind of worked your way. You were in the one-day side first, and that was like a stepping stone to the test yeah. side. They weren't necessarily viewed as separate formats separate. like they are now. Yeah. Um, so what was that like, you know, to make your test debuts together? It was, I mean... I th the gravity of the situation, I think, didn't really... At the time, we, I don't think we realised what was going on because life was just moving pretty quickly for us both. I mean, he was 18. I was like 23, 20, 20... What was I, 24, 23, 24, something like that. Um, um, and everything was happening so fast for us. So we were achieving a lot. And, um, you know, we just won the series 3-0 versus Australia in the one day. I got man of the series. He got the man of the match in the third one, the international. And, you know, we were getting sponsorships thrown our way and cars. And um, we are 
TV shows and um, so everything was happening so fast. So well, at that time, I think it was just like, oh, yeah, this is just something else which is happening. So, um, but when I look back on it now, I think I appreciate it more now when I look back on it than we did at the time. Um, probably took it a little bit for granted at the time, but, and even now when people say, well, we were the only people to do that in the 20th century, it's like, you don't, you, at the time, I don't think you even comprehend that. No. Yeah. I think, you know, that's not unusual, is it, for, for young men? Just generally, is sometimes everything, life is moving so quickly that you just you only appreciate maybe the situations and the things that happen later in life. Um, yeah. Look, like, uh, I wanted to, I was wondering if you'd mind telling the story um, of uh, where you went to watch uh, Mike Tyson versus Lennox Lewis in Memphis, um, which I came yeah. across because um, yeah. I just found that really like just such a, um, like a heartwarming story from a mm. terrible situation yeah so i'd rather you tell the story than kind of me reel it off from what i saw yeah it was um it was interesting because um it started in back in england and i um i'd been at the time my then wife i'd um she'd been punishing me by taking me to all these um theaters i think it was the lion king and goddamn um Phantom of the Opera, I was like, ah, oh, it's killing me. So I, I, I must have watched 20 of these West End shows, each one worse than the last. And um, I'm just not into that stuff. Anyway, I was I was taken along. And one day it was my turn to choose. So I took, um, I couldn't tell her where I was going to take her because I knew I'd get told no. But I took her to um, Lennox Lewis versus um, Francois Botha at, um, over in the Docklands, that fight was. Anyway, um, she quite enjoyed it, and then my, my brother as well, he loves it. So I said, wherever we are, at that stage, the big fight on everyone's lips was Tyson versus Lewis, much probably the same as Fury versus Joshua and Al, but that, that, was the, that was the fight that everybody wanted to see. So um, they announced that fight, and um, I said, we're going, we're going along. Um, I got, um, we got four tickets. So there was um, one for me, um, um, wife, and um, Ben and his girlfriend. And then um, obviously things changed. Yeah. Um, obviously my brother had the accident and um, the people that ended up coming was my, my sister. My wife was, um, uh, had, we had my daughter, so she couldn't travel because she was just newly born. And um, so it ended up being four tickets, which we had originally bought, but for my sister and her boyfriend at the time. And the tickets were ringside and they were incredibly expensive, but I thought we'll sell the fourth ticket when we get there. Um, but when we got there, I kind of enjoyed, you know, he was enjoying the situation and I felt like, you know, my brother was there with me and then mm. we just kept the seat free. I think the seats were worth about ten thousand US dollars each, but I just kept it free. Um, people kept coming during the fight, asking if they could sit. There was someone there, and I said, "Yeah, someone's there." So we just kept it kept it open, and it was just a nice moment. I also had a lot more money. I must add, back at that stage, so <laughs> I wouldn't be doing it now. I'd be selling it. But um, it was just yeah, it was a nice moment to leave it open for him. So 
yeah, and I guess like because you planned to to go to the fight together, and mm. uh, I can imagine, like you say, they because they're like expensive seats and they were sought after seats. I can imagine people just coming up and saying, you know, anyone sitting there constantly. Mm. It's just yeah. in my head, I could like feel like it would be like every ten minutes, just someone else coming along. Oh, it was more often than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So kind of going back to to cricket and and your England career really um, you you know you 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 did you played more for the one day side um mm-hmm. and you played a handful of tests as well um looking back on your your England career is there kind of anything which you you would have done differently or anything which sticks out uh yeah i, I probably would have been nicer to duncan fletcher i think <laughs> this is uh, um we didn't get on. We didn't like each other. Um, so I think I would have got picked for a lot more games if I'd probably, if I'd, if I'd been nicer to him. But uh, I didn't like him. Um, I don't like him. I don't like that guy. He doesn't like me, so I didn't get picked. So I wouldn't change anything. I'm happy with what happened. I was happy with my career. And uh, we still don't like each other, and that's cool. Um, that's the way it is. Yeah, sometimes you just have a clash of uh, clash of personalities. Yeah. yeah, it's just one of those things. But really, you know, technically, uh, that clash of personalities shouldn't affect selection. Like, technically, if you're good enough, you should be playing, regardless of whether you get on with the manager or the coach. But, you know, it doesn't work like I do a football show live every Monday with them. Um, former Middlesbrough and Cardiff striker Andy Campbell and he didn't when he left Cardiff he didn't the main reason was he didn't get on with the manager um, mm. but every time he played he did quite well so really mm. you know from a kind of technical point of view he should have played but it's just yeah. one of those things and I, I think I think it depends on your um coach I mean I know as captain there was a lot of guys I had in my side who I didn't like but I just picked okay. the guys who I who I thought should be in the side, and whether, whether I liked you or didn't like you was irrelevant. Um, but there's a, other people aren't like that, um, and I'm not criticising him. Um, that's just the way he chose to run his team. He was a successful coach. Um, mm. He did wonderful things with England. Um, so, you know, in some ways he was justified, and, uh, you know, by having me there, he might have felt that it might have unsettled the 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 vibe in the change room and that's and that's his decision as coach that that's fine um doesn't mean i like him anymore <laughs> no <laughs> yeah it's just that that's okay that's the way it is that's life it's like we make our choices i knew that i could have pretended i liked them and i might have played more games but that's also not who i am yeah um we talked we we mentioned just now about um the one day cricket to, and england's approach to it changing over the years um, like now, they very much have separated the T20, the 50 over, and the and the Test sides. You know, back in the day, they used to just pick pretty much the same side for all, maybe with one or two changes for the one day cricket. Um, <clears throat> I feel like you were um, almost ahead of your time in terms of particularly one day cricket. Um, do you feel like you would have fit better with the modern approach to one day cricket in the way you played? Yeah, possibly, um, but by the same token, it's all relevant. If I had played 
if I'd been around 10, 15 years earlier, I might not have played at all. Hmm. So I think we were the start of that that, that split in sides. And we only played, they'd go on tour, they'd take one team, and they wouldn't take two teams. So I missed out on a lot of games that I probably would have played. But at least I got some of my career where they did that. But, you know, people back in the 80s, if you couldn't play test cricket, you didn't get a game in the one days. No. So, um, I mean, now it's completely moved um, again and you can be just a, a T20 specialist or a one-day specialist, whatever it is you choose to be, you can be. Um, it's, it's just, I think, everything, every the whole world is more accepting of everything. So it's cricket skills, uh, mental health, whatever it is, you know, sexuality, whatever it is, the whole world, you know, transgenders, uh, the, the world's just a more accepting place and understanding place and there's somewhere for everybody now whereas you know it's hard for us now sitting here in 2020 looking back trying to um, work out what things were like by then but just things were just different and they are what they are um, yeah things change people evolve and um, mm. you know I'm sure in 10-15 years time people will look back again on 2020 and say oh i can't believe things or things were different back then and exactly yeah it's just humanity evolves whether it's for the good or the bad uh they change Absolutely. and they evolve um so just to kind of finish off um because i don't want to keep you too uh, as much as i'd like to keep you for a couple of hours i don't want to take up too much of your time because i know uh it's it's tea time for the holly oak family um you were uh, after your cricket career. You took a stint in. Uh, you had a little run in MMA, and and I think you had a boxing fight as well, didn't you? I had several boxing fights. Um, okay. Yeah. I had um, five professional boxing fights, and then a bunch of other um, celebrity stroke semi professional bouts. Um, so I've, I've done a fair bit of fighting um, in my time, and then obviously MMA as well. And, some stuff called Combat Eight, which is like a, a mixture between MMA and and um, unboxing. So yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Actually, it's, it was like some kind of like it's modified rule set of MMA, is it? So there's no yeah. uh, knee knee strikes. I think it was, and a couple of other bits. Well, so basically, the main rule difference: the gloves were the same size. Um, main rule difference: where you were only allowed to grapple for thirty seconds. Okay. So, which was interesting. It was kind of like, I guess it would be like trying to give entertainment to your average um, fight fan. Yeah. Um, like, Speed things up a bit. Yeah, well, because I mean, a lot of people, uh, one of the criticisms I've heard people level at MMA is that, you know, someone gets someone on the ground and once they've got them on the ground, they're not going to let them back up. So they can just keep manoeuvring and improving their position without actually trying to um, get a submission or yeah, do anything too radical. They just try and maintain position and just stop the striker from. If they eradicate the striker being able to strike, then they're going to win the fight. So in a three-round fight, you get two takedowns. Effectively, you win the fight uh, as long as you don't get knocked out. Mm. Um, so with this combat eight rules, it was like after thirty seconds, you were stood back up, which some people said was okay. Then. You're um, you're taking away the the advantage for the wrestler. Well, the rule that was saying is to the wrestler, well, you better get to work when you're on the ground, and you better yeah. finish the fight if you get it down there. And it actually made because all of the fights ended in knockout or submission. So 
that was the goal was to make it more entertaining um and i think it was so cool there's <clears throat> you know look there's there's a, a million things i'd love to talk to you about um i did want to ask you this question to finish then um do you still get a lifetime supply of mars bars <laughs> i get asked this all the time mate. it was um so i think it was 1998 i got um i got um given another lifetime supply of mars bars well told i was entitled to a lifetime supply of mars bars because i suffered um some severe dehydration out in a game in bangladesh and it wasn't actually dehydration i'd lost the sugars and and salt from my blood i diluted it by drinking too much water so in the media i mentioned that um i ate a whole bunch of noodles and some mars bars so whoever was in charge of the mars bars at the time i think the ceo of mars bar uh, when I landed at the airport, there were two promotions girls with Mars bar t-shirts on ready to have pictures taken with me and gave me some Mars bars. I thought, okay, that's nice. And then um, I got home and then there was another buzz at my door when I got home and there was this truck driver who had um, a trolley load of Mars bars. Um, and I was like, wow. Um, I don't like Mars bars though. So that's <laughs> like... like I, well, I couldn't have been, like, I should have said uh, what I did was I took for it, went out for a drive in a Bentley or something like that and see if they yeah. gave me a lifetime of Bentleys. <laughs> but, you know, hey, Mars bars. Was like, I was popular with all the people in the office because I gave everyone in the office as many Mars bars as they wanted for a while. Yeah, that's cool. That's, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Adam, I appreciate your time so much. And, I'd like, you know, I'd love to get you back on again so we can yeah, do sure, we can stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What is next for Adam Holyoke? What are you up to now? Um, well, I've got some... I'm actually... I've got a number of things I'm doing, really. Um, I guess from your perspective, as in um, I'm, I'm coaching... I'm the batting coach for the Queensland Bulls out here. Yeah. Um, and i also training some fighters out here as well. Um, I'm involved with the Matrix Boxing Gym out here. And I, I train, train some fighters, which is I'm really enjoying. And then I've got a, a couple of businesses. One which you guys should all check out. It's called Coaster. Um, it's um, it's an opportunity for uh, sports fans to speak to their favourite sports celebrity, and you can go on and have video conference calls with your favourite um, athletes. And we've just signed the NBA, so that's just huge for us. Um, and we're hopefully in the um, about to sign um, the PCA, the Professional Cricket Association, so you'll be okay. able to. I want to have conversations with you, and and we've signed the UFC as well. So, wow. um, so you speak to your favourite UFC fighter or um, NBA player, and, and soon some cricketers. So that's amazing. Um, so I've been, uh, and that's been something I've been working on for about six or seven years. But that's really because of Corona, that's come to the forefront because um, there's a lot of a lot of athletes sit around doing nothing, mate. So. Yeah, that's it. No. We're looking for something to do. I mean, I'm getting obviously getting paid an absolute fortune to come on your show. So yeah, well, that's uh, it. Uh, the, the other athletes, the same way, they're just after the millions as well. That's it. That's it. You'd be surprised, though, um, how many people ask for uh, money to appear on podcasts like this. Yeah, right. Uh, I should. So what you're saying is, I should like. 
So well, we could do the negotiation now, mate. Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 because it's a bit late. I've already done it. But what do you reckon it's been worth? Oh, what, this, this, uh, priceless. And priceless. priceless. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, look, it's been, it's, it's been an honour for me, mate. Because, um, like, I, you're, you're avoiding cursing around the question. You're yeah, like, well, you're trying, to, it, like, you're trying to like, which, which will work by just totally flattering me, saying it's been an honour. But I'm after a dollar figure. <laughs> after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um, like I say, it's been on a bit. I've um, I like I, I could literally I could talk to you for the next two hours, mm. and I would mm. not run out of things to talk about. Um, mm. I will uh, I'll link all Adam's uh, social media and co-star and everything in the description below. And uh, Adam, I appreciate your time so much, mate. And like we'll I said, come back. Are... I'll come back another time whenever we're we'll Once then... you give me that price, mate, I'll be back. Yeah, anytime. yeah, we'll, we'll sort out that <laughs> price. But you know what? I um, I was going to ask you to, on Sunday. We're doing a we're doing a live show talking about the UFC from oh, Saturday. Yeah. So I was going to yeah. ask you if you wanted to join us for that, just as one of the because they have a couple of guests who break down the help break down the fights and stuff. But obviously, the time that I do it. Because it's live, I think it's like four a.m. in the morning for you, which is no oh, okay. to a Sunday morning, which is a shame. Well, I'm, because uh, I'm, I'm taking my boys there to going to their first UFC. I'm taking them down the pub as all good dads do. I'm taking my fourteen-year-old and nine-year-old down to watch there. Um, they're interested in that, you know, that main event. Usman oh, uh, and Masvidal is going to be a cracker. So um, they're losing their pub virginity down there, mate. I'm taking them down to watch the big fight, so they're all. Yeah, they'll be um, looking forward Who's to Who's going to win that fight then, to finish us off? Uh, I think Usman. I think Usman too strong. To you. Yeah. Do you go I Masvidal? Think, I think, well, here's my thing. I think if he had a full camp, I think I would go with Masvidal. But on yeah. seven days' notice, I'm just not sure that... Yeah. If he wins, like... What a comeback from injury that wow. is. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. This is what makes it so interesting. I think it's... Yeah. Um, He's a tough guy. I can't wait. Oh, Adam's gone. He's a gone. Sorry, mate. We just had no, a phone call. <laughs> I know you're right. I'm back. Just wrapping up anyway now. Yeah. Um, guys, check out um, Adam's uh, social media and uh, co-star as well. Subscribe, youtube.com slash Nation. Follow us on social media. And uh, we'll be back for new episodes we do drop at least three episodes a week, live or recorded. We've got a live football show uh, Monday with Emil Heskey, former England and Liverpool striker, as well as uh, many other top shows, top guests, and interesting, thought-provoking conversation. So join us for the next episode of My Story. Join us for the next episode on Ace Podcast Nation. Adam, thank you. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Cheers, guys. Podcast Network.